Welcome to The Real Deal Podcast, where we talk to Indiana music professionals about their careers who have been very successful, or as we call them, The Real Deal. My name is Rick Granlund. I'm the Director of Bands and Performing Arts Department Chair at North Central High School in Indianapolis, Indiana. Today we welcome Mr. Tom Dean, Director of Bands from Castle High School. Well, hello, Tom. We have Tom Dean here on the podcast. I want to really thank you for taking time, Tom, and, and being with me today. Thank you. Really appreciate the podcast. And I know I speak for a lot of directors and people that uh, are really uh, loving what you're doing. Well, thank you. It's been a lot of fun for, for me and for, for Connor as well. And, you know, every time I get ready to do one of these, I kind of think back to when I met people and how I've been involved with them throughout my career. And, and uh, you know, I remember you probably before you remember me, because, you know, I think when you come into high school, when you come into college and you're in an organization like band, you have leaders. And you have people that you know who they are before they know who you are. And I, when I got to Ball State in uh, the summer of um, 1987, you know, I was in the trombone section, so you weren't my section leader. But you pretty quickly, as a freshman, learned there were some names I learned pretty quickly. And I just kind of watched. And it was uh, you, Mark Harding, Myra Taylor, uh, Jeff Shy, people like that um, were really just great student leaders. And so... You know, I know you're not going to say, yes, I was a student leader. Great. Thank you. But I mean, <laughs> but I do want to, I mean, I think that's one of the great things about band and, and, and sports too, but, and like a marching band, like a, a Mac school marching band, it's a really big organization and those student leaders do a lot. And so um, that's my first recollection of knowing you a little bit. And of course that first year, it was the last year of quarters for Ball State. So things went by quicker and then you student taught and, and uh, you student taught at Newcastle, I know, kind of getting ahead of things there. But um, like how, how a lot of you older folks did things really meant a lot to, to us. And so thank you for just kind of being a great student leader back then. Well, that, that's awfully kind of you say that. I, I appreciate that. The, some of the names you mentioned are just some of the most outstanding uh, people in, in the business and just as human beings. And um, yeah, we learned a lot at Ball State. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But I learned a lot in the classroom and outside the classroom for sure. Yeah, I certainly agree. And so, you know, I, I gave you the notes ahead of time of kind of what we're going to do today. You've already, you already know we're kind of formatting this in, the, in a basketball game format since it's Indiana. And so I think we're, we're good to go. So let's go ahead and start the first quarter with how, where you grew up. Sure. Um, well, I was actually uh, born in Danville. We moved around a lot when I was young. Um, I did, um, I guess, kindergarten in, in Illinois, um, first and second grade in Florida, third grade in Evansville, fourth grade in Texas, and then fifth grade uh, moved to Newburgh, Indiana, and um, have been there ever since, it seems like. Um, so yeah, we moved around a lot. My dad was in construction and was a real hard worker and um, by the time we got to, I have an older sister who's two years older than me. And, uh, so by the time we got to around middle school age, I think my mom said, you know, we should probably stay put. And, um, you know, as the world, um, as it just worked out that, uh, we wound up in Newburgh, Indiana when I started, uh, elementary and, uh, in band in sixth grade. Were your parents from Illinois then, or had they just landed there prior to you being born? Yeah, uh, my mom and dad are uh, both from uh, both were from Illinois, basically. Um, and uh, my mom was my mom was uh, musical. She uh, played piano uh, sometimes at, at the church, and uh, I guess that's probably my earliest musical memory is um, 
uh, having a piano in the house and her playing. And I'm sure I sat there and watched her play. And then I would get up in the bench and just uh, noodle around and try to try to figure out some things on my own. But um, that was, um, yeah, the source of, I guess, my earliest musical memories would be, would be my mom playing piano. Well, you landed in a great place uh, to have middle school. I mean, everyone in Indiana that knows much about band knows that, you know, Newburgh in that area and Evansville just in general has a wonderful musical history. Um, when did you get to start your music journey in school? Yeah, so I started as a sixth grader uh, at Newburgh Elementary, which is uh, actually where my wife teaches uh, general music at Newburgh Elementary. Um, and um, yeah, I started, I went into my try on like everybody else. And um, I, I knew for sure that I was going to play the trombone. That's just, it looked great. I sound, I thought it, you know, would be a fun instrument to play. And uh, I went into my try on and came out of it uh, with a trumpet. So <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was a great time. I had just incredible uh, teachers along the time. Uh, um, Tom Listenfelt, who has now passed away, but was my uh, first band director there at Newburgh Elementary. And we would play 30, 40 minutes maybe before school started every day in the gymnasium, like a lot of beginning band programs did and probably still do. Um, yeah, so we just played. There's five or six elementary schools. So at the end of the year, we came together for a big, uh, big concert at the end of the year with everybody. Um, as a sixth grader, I was not, I didn't really know what band was about, I guess. I enjoyed it a lot, but um, in the springtime, we had a, uh, our big concert where all the elementaries got together. And I also happened to have a baseball game that night. And so I just, you know, didn't, th I really honestly didn't think much about it. I went to the baseball game because I, you know, had a conflict. And uh, then the next day I was informed that that was a mistake on my part. I should have gone to the concert. <laughs> <laughs> so you missed so, your first concert, I guess. I did. I missed my first big concert. So I always think about that. At the end of the year, we have a big concert here with all the groups coming together. and. Um, yeah, we try to explain it to everybody, but uh, yeah, even uh, you never know that kid who misses their first concert might grow up to to be a music educator after all. Yeah, well, um, kind of funny. I went into my beginning band meeting thinking I was going to play trumpet, and I came out playing trombone. So maybe they got our cards mixed. <laughs> wanna... Right, right. Um, so Tom, what was Tom's last name again? Uh, Listenfelt. What what can what do you remember of Tom? Can you tell me a little bit about him? Uh, Tom, Tom was um, just the nicest man, and um, he, uh, uh, he he also uh, did his work in Illinois, uh, master's degree, graduate, uh, undergrad, and master's I think at Illinois, and uh, he came to the Castle area in the early seventies, mid seventies. And he, he was just a great, great person, great human being. He was a French horn player by trade, but um, was a great teacher and super patient, just, just really patient. And I was really fortunate that um, later on that um, it went past us just being a student-teacher relationship. And, and he and his wife um, became really great friends of our family, too. And so you had him for beginner. Did he also teach at the middle school you ended up in as well? Yeah, so I was really fortunate that um, in in my uh, public schooling years that that um, I had actually three teachers. Uh, Mr. Listenfelt started me uh, when I went to junior high. Uh, Jerry Reese, and I'm, I'm sure Indiana fans know know Jerry Reese, and uh, so he was the junior high director. He was he was uh, just hired in. He was the new. Um, 
I don't know, 30 year old guy with the white Corvette that um, was just the coolest cat in town. And uh, he was just fantastic. Uh, he's, he's a ranger and um, when he was at ISU he did a lot a lot of the arrangements for the bands up there and um, so at any rate so he was our, our junior high director and he had just so much energy we did you know pep bands jazz ensembles all sorts of stuff but um, he pushed us pretty hard and uh, but it was it was great uh, so Jerry was my uh, junior high director was that um, seventh and eighth grade then is that how correct? It okay. Yeah, correct. Now it's um, middle school, six through eight, but back then it was seventh through eighth grade. And did he um, have involvement at the high school when you went up there as well, or was he was he in the middle school primarily? Yeah, it was a it was an unusual setup. I think uh, when I went through, um, so when I went to the high school, um, the, uh, Jack Chernikov is the third director that I had, and uh, Jack was just fantastic gentleman. Still lives in Evansville. Uh, to this day, and um, he Jack was great and um, an uh, older gentleman, and so Jack uh, at the high school, Jack and Tom Listenfeld did the high school bands during the day, but then Jerry Reese would come over from the from the junior high, and Jerry would do mainly the after school things, uh, the pep bands, the jazz ensembles, marching band, um, and so it, it was the unusual setup that, um, you know, Jerry was at the junior high and then went to the high school after school. Um, but while I was there, I got to see, you know, be taught by three great teachers every single day. And the program at Castle, I mean, I, I know a little bit more about it just because of what I do in my life. But what, what was the program like in the 80s? What, what kind of things did the, the program do? What were they known for? What did you enjoy most? All those things. Yeah, I, I think... Um, I was real, I've been really fortunate both my time at Castle and Ball State to see, to go through some growth periods and see some things that how uh, personalities and, and things can grow. The, the community started to grow. Um, so I started as in the fall of 1980 at Castle High School. And, um, you know, we had, I think, one stoplight in Newburgh at that time. Um, we had a Kmart in, in a McDonald's. So we thought we were really all that. Um, and so the community was growing, population was growing, um, so it was changing. But um, the band in the in the uh, early '80s or late '70s, uh, the marching program was starting to become established. Mr. Uh, or Jerry Reese was uh, a force of marching band and contemporary marching band, and uh, did some arranging for some local drum corps and things. But um, so the marching band, I think, was the first thing that really took off. And when I was a, a freshman in high school, I think we were 23rd in the state finals or whatever. And then by the time I was a junior, I think we were sixth in the state or something like that. But, but we saw a lot of growth and the band grew from, you know, 120 or whatever to over 200 in the, in the four years that I was there at the high school. That's really cool. Do you have a favorite memory or two that come to mind when you think of the high school years? Wow. You know, I, there's so many, I, I, I think about, I, I was lucky enough to play in a brass quintet, a student run brass quintet and, and we played together for four or five years and the same people and, you know, um, Larry McBride, Dana Drulinger, Brian Sisley, Chip Raxter, all these people that, you know, we, we had a lot of great times there, but um, for me, I think the best memory was uh, actually in, uh, doing the musicals. I, I enjoyed so much doing the doing the pit orchestra and and playing and kind of seeing that combination. I think of uh, acting, singing, lighting, 
and music. I, I really enjoyed that a lot. That's cool. Do you remember a certain musical that really was the favorite of the favorite? Um, I guess uh, Fiddler on the Roof was great. I remember that a lot. Um, the Music Man. Um, those are the two that I remember the most out of high school. That's cool. Um, so at, at what point do you recall thinking that you might want to be a teacher or maybe specifically a band director? Were you considering other things? How was your career path decided and when? Yeah, it's funny. You know, I, I do. I remember this very vividly that our National Honor Society, we were doing service projects or whatever. And, and so one of the service projects was to go to one of our elementary schools and, and tutor um, young students. And so uh, I got teamed up with a little boy and he was a second grader. And, you know, it was just some math stuff and additions, attraction, whatever. But um, I remember helping him and, see, and, and seeing him walk in and being a little nervous and scared and obviously uh, did not have a great self-esteem because, you know, he was there, he knew he was there to get tutored. And um, just after working with him and, and seeing him get some success and seeing his face light up, I just, I thought that I, I couldn't believe how good I felt about myself watching another person feel good about themselves. It was, it was really, really remarkable. I, I remember that vividly that that was uh, a teaching moment, but um, I was, I guess, a junior in high school and I, I was pretty set on uh, pre-law or pre-med and, you know, if down here, you, you know, you're just going to go to IU. That's how it works down here. But um, so pre-law or pre-med and I came back and my parents, you know, their advice to me was just, you know, do what you love, just whatever it is, you got to love what you do. And that's the biggest thing, you know, you won't disappoint us either way. And so one night after a musical rehearsal, I came home and it just struck me that like I could do musicals I could get paid this could be a job where I could teach and also enjoy this and so I came home and and I told mom dad I said well I've you know I've decided what I want to do and they're you know they thought pre-med or pre-law and I said I want to be a music teacher <laughs> and that that didn't go over well initially <laughs> um, because they had you know different expectations of what it was but um, but they were super supportive of me but at that first initial you know, reaction was just not what they expected. <laughs> I think that's a fairly common theme that I, <laughs> but, uh, well, I think it worked out okay. So you're, you're good. Well, that's, that's, that's a great kind of close to the, the first quarter. So going on to the second quarter, talking more about college and early in your career, when you're looking at colleges, you already mentioned IU being a big influence in that part of the state. And of course they have great school music. Um, how did you go about looking for schools to pursue your music education? I was, um, I, I didn't do it a great way. It all worked out fantastic, but uh, certainly as students of mine, you know, I counsel them to not do it the way I did. Um, Ball State, uh, the wood, uh, Woodwind Quintet from Ball State uh, drove all the way down to Newburgh, which at that time, some roads weren't even there yet. And it was a long drive. And uh, the Woodwind Quintet came down and they played for our for our class. And afterwards they said, Hey, you know, if you want, you know, if you're thinking about whatever, we'd like to talk to you. And uh, that's where I met Fred Ennis. And I know, you know, Fred through Ball State is the uh, French horn professor there for many years. And 
Um, so Fred was just such a nice guy. And we just started talking about different things. A friend, a classmate of mine, uh, Chip Raxter was also interested in going to music. And so, um, it was, I can honestly tell you, I don't think I would have gone to Ball State had that woodwind quintet not come down there. And our director hadn't said, yes, please come play for our group. Um, it's just one of those things, but, um, yeah, so that's how I kind of got to Ball State. I, so I was taking lessons from um, from some teachers around around our area, but I wasn't really super prepared for lessons. And and um, Mr. Chernikov, bless his heart, he he drove me up to Muncie uh, for my audition. And um, his daughter, actually Lori Chernikov, played piano for me. And um, and I auditioned, and it was I think fairly average at best. And, um, but then the last thing they had me do was sight read. And I remember, um, uh, Larry McWilliams was there, Paul Everett, uh, trumpet professors. And, and so they gave me a sheet of music, whatever, and said, okay, just start playing. We'll stop you at some point. And I, they never stopped me. And I played the whole thing and not brilliantly, but I, they never stopped me. And, um, Larry McWilliams told me later that was, you know, the thing that they really, that's, that's the reason I really got into the school is because of my ability to sight read that. Did you audition elsewhere or was that really your main pick and you just stuck with it from the initial start? Yeah. Yeah. That was the only place I wound up auditioning. Um, and again, I, you know, we certainly don't, you know, we like to have our students, you know, audition three, four different places, whatever. Uh, but yeah, that was the only place I auditioned. Again, I think about that a lot that as you look back, you know, over your life that, those moments that happened. I mean, if Fred Ennis hadn't been there, if the Ball State Woodwind Quintet, you know, decided it was too far to go uh, to our little neck of the woods, you know, it, things would have just been different. For sure. And so did you end up with uh, Mac or Everett in your private teaching, private lessons, I mean? Yeah, so so I was a student of Mac's all four years, and uh, that was just just fantastic and, and just so much fun and and whatever. And I guess some of those sight reading skills, I guess, you know, it was <laughs> some of my classmates may, the way I remember this anyway, but um, I was, I used to get a hard time by some of my trumpet mates because I never got kicked out of a lesson. <laughs> kind of fairly, fairly common thing back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I remember that too. Yeah. People, you'd see people in the hallway. I thought you had a lesson. Well, I did. <laughs> Well, congratulations, Tom. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Mac was so great and and just and just unique personality and and just great player, great teacher, and and um, you know, through the jazz program there was just so influential in so many ways. What other ensembles and professors um, come to mind when you think of those those years? Yeah, um, gosh, you know, in, as far as the applied lessons, um, you know, taken from ACL four years, I started taking um, percussion. I took the required percussion methods class or whatever with Dr. Mueller and just fell in love with percussion. And I've said many times if I had to start over again, I think I'd be a percussionist. But um, so I wound up then taking private lessons with Dr. Mueller and um, it just had such a great time, enjoyed that so much. And um, on my senior recital, um, played a, you know, played all the trumpet stuff and then did a, uh, did a xylophone, sold the George Hamilton green thing and the ball state Murrumba ensemble backed me up. And that was just so much fun. Um, uh, Mac gave me a hard time when you'd see me walking down through the basement there with, uh, mallets instead of my trumpet. But, uh, but we had a, we had a good time with Dr. Mueller. 
Um, and of course, Dr. Scagnoli, he, you know, he was the, that was kind of the second, as you say, second quarter. And, and when I came to Ball State as a freshman, it was, um, as Dr. Scagnoli kind of illuminated on his podcast, it was, it was his first year and it was a little bit, um, a little bit down the, the marching band, especially in numbers and things. And, and boy, to see, to see him grow that in four years, um, from maybe a hundred, I mean, maybe a hundred that first year. Uh, I don't think it was even that, but, uh, to over 200 so quickly. And, um, the way he marketed that, you know, he's just a dynamic person. So, so I think I learned a lot just watching him, uh, and being a part of that. I was really, really fortunate there. So, so you, so you played in the jazz program and the concert program and marching all the way through all four of your years. Yeah, yeah, I was really fortunate that um, first year played in the symphonic band. I think that's what we called it back then, um, which Dr. Scagnoli was conducting that at that time. And then the next three years with the wind ensemble with him uh, conducting that. And uh, yeah, marching band, jazz ensemble all four years. And, you know, looking back on it, I mean, my goodness, the, the artists that they, you know, would bring into the jazz program, um, whether, you know, Ray Brown or John Faddis or whomever it, we were exposed to so many great, great artists back then. It was, um, it was really, really inspiring as a college student. I would agree. And it's almost like you, you can't believe they were all there. You know, when you see some of those names at the time, it seemed normal because that's all we knew, you know, but <laughs> right. it's like pretty unbelievable. And uh, McWilliams and Scagnoli became good friends too. And I think mm-hmm. that really kind of led to a lot of things. Um, as far as those ensembles, you've mentioned memories of them, you know, changing you and they grew and they got better. Do you have any specific memories that come to mind as favorites um, from your ensemble experiences with those teachers? Um, gosh, uh, it seems like the jazz ensemble, it seems like we were always, always playing, always performing. Um, I think that the concerts with John Faddis as a trumpet, I mean, as a trumpet player, those were, those were some of my favorites. Um, and uh, Connie Condoli coming in and, um, you know, hearing stories about the Tonight Show band and everything. Um, those were great. There, there was one night, one evening where the, the jazz ensemble was playing. John Faddis was the soloist. And then we got done and ran over to Emmons because that night uh, Doc Severinsen was soloing with the Muncie um, Philharmonic. And so, you know, in three hours, we saw, you know, two of the living legends. It was, it was pretty great. It was, it was pretty awesome. Wow. So as you were wrapping up your your college time and looking towards student teaching, how did the process go for you of choosing and applying to where you wanted to go? Yeah, I'm not sure if um, I'm not sure who really. Oh, I, I do know um, the the marching band. Uh, we did a little quick little tour. You know, uh, Dr. Skagnoli is so good about getting the band out there and, and the brand of the Pride of the Mid America and. Um, we, we did a show at uh, Newcastle, um, uh, which was Newcastle Chrysler, Chrysler Newcastle at that time, and on our way to maybe University of Miami the next day or something. But, but we did a show at uh, Newcastle, and I, I guess I must have been a junior or something. Or, and, um, and, and I met uh, Bob Shaver, uh, the director of bands there at that time. And um, so that's how that came on my radar. Then when we started looking at places a student teach, um, his name kept coming up as a place a student teach. And I followed some great people, Mark Middleton, uh, Tim Johnston had student taught there before me. And so I was the third, uh, 
third in a row, third Ball State trumpet <laughs> player that they took at Newcastle. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, those names are all certainly great teachers. So what was your student teaching like? Uh, it, it was so much fun. Um, and, and kind of like how I grew up in high school and my experience, there are three, three directors there, Bob Shaver, Susan Smith, and Larry Ash. And uh, so they kind of split all the duties up between them. And um, I think we started the very first class of the day was the top band at the high school um, and I got to work with them. And then uh, as we went over into the rest of the day, uh, went over to the middle school and then taught, uh, taught beginners over there. And they started in seventh grade, I believe back then, but they had band every day in uh, small sections. So there was a, um, a, a trumpet class maybe, or maybe it was all brass. I don't remember. And, then a saxophone class, or no, sorry, saxophones and flutes together, and then um, clarinets together. And I, I just, I marveled at Bob uh, Shaver and just, just an incredible teacher, educator, person. But, but uh, he would have those kids play maybe line 14. Um, and I swear he'd have those kids play that thing 20 times in a row. And every time it would be different. And every time he'd make it exciting, something them, for them to think about. So the kids never got bored. And I just remember just writing down like how many times they just played this. And it was never, it was always exciting to the kids. And um, they just got a lot of great drill and preparation. Uh, um, yeah. And you got to work with all three of those teachers and they all worked together every day. Right. Yeah. They, um, I think every band was team taught in some form or fashion. Um, but, um, Bob was so great. And, you know, I walked in to the, to the band, it was spring. Uh, so they were getting things programmed for, um, ISMA festival or organizational. Um, and they played, they played the, uh, Alfred Reed, Viva Musica. I remember they did the, um, uh, Ferris of the Pharaohs of March. I can't remember what the third tune was, but um, so Bob was just such a great um, student teaching experience and cooperating teacher. He, you know, started me off by, you know, hey, after a couple of days, warm up the band, and after a couple of days, maybe do a sectional, and um, after a couple of days, he said, why don't you work on, you know, just the first strain of the march, and so started real small like that, and he just kept uh, giving me more and more to do and more and more responsibilities. So it. I didn't realize at the time what a big deal this was, but he, you know, we got close to the concert, the pre-ISMA concert. And he said, you know, you've been working on the March. Why don't you just go ahead and conduct it tonight? So I did, and I guess it went well enough. So he said, you know, ISMA contest is this Saturday. And, um, you know, I want you to go ahead and conduct that at ISMA contest. So as a student teacher doing a group one band, you know, I, I mean, I knew it was a big deal, but looking back on it, um, I don't know that I would let my student teachers do that all the time. <laughs> so it was That's, great. Yeah, you might be. Uh, and I know that they went on and did quite well, correct? And it, They did. That was a funny year. If you go back and look at that, um, my friend Carl Hartman has every ISMA program since the beginning of time. He can probably vouch for this. But um, so that spring, that would have been the spring of 88, um, we performed an organizational contest went really well um got the scores or whatever and then those are the days you'd you know you'd wait for a phone call from the isma office from bill fred on sunday and um so came into the came into work on monday and i i just said well you know did you find out what time we play or whatever and he said well, i never got a call he said I, I never got a call from isma and um he bob was really 
he just couldn't figure it out. He said, I'm sure these scores are good enough. I just, so anyway, so he wound up calling Bill Fred and on the phone and Bill said, uh, he said, well, what scores did you get? And Bob told him and Bill just said, um, I'm gonna have to call you back. So <laughs> that year uh, they just not opened up the scores from that uh, site. So that year at Isma state finals, there were 17 bands uh, performing at state finals because of that. And, um, and Bob let me, you know, let me conduct at Southport at state finals, you know, student teacher and baton in one hand and my resume in the other hand, trying to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. How many years between that conducting at state finals and your next performance at state finals? Probably four or five years, maybe. Right. Your, yeah. That's, yeah. You might be the only student teacher to ever conduct there, I'm guessing, or maybe, maybe. Carl, Carl probably knows. <laughs> he probably does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's really cool. So, I mean, you had some great memories um, from, from student teaching and how did, how did moving into the job hunt look for you? That, that was, uh, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty intimidating, um, you know, without, without the internet, without, you know, you really relied on the, the network of directors and people. And, um, you know, I remember Dr. Mueller telling me, um, I think it was the day of graduation, actually, there's a little thing we did. And I, I, I think it was that day he told me, he said, you know, the problem you're going to have is you're going to have to decide between two different jobs. And I just laughed. I said, you know, I would, I'll take anything. Um, so, you know, we, just like anything else, we put out feelers everywhere and um, heard of some openings. And I'd always thought that um, I'd always thought that I wanted to, be at a program, learn it, you know, be an assistant director and kind of learn under somebody for a, a good amount of time and then maybe take on my own program. So, um, so at any rate, so I, I, uh, put out, you know, resumes everywhere and, um, I got two interviews and one was at Winchester high school and, um, one was at Eastbrook high school. Um, the Winchester job was actually, um, the assistant to Brad Roberts, who's another just fantastic human being and music educator. Um, and the other one was at Eastbrook, and that was the high school job. And uh, John Brain, who you interviewed uh, a few episodes ago, um, he was the middle school band director there. And um, uh, Dr. Mueller, as is always the case, was right that I, I actually got an offer from both of those places. And uh, I had such a great feeling about the Eastbrook situation and, and um, the idea of go ahead and starting at a high school position um, which was kind of in a downturn and um, trying to turn that around was really exciting to me. And I think, again, going back to seeing what I witnessed at the high school and then also at, at Ball State with Dr. Scagnoli, I was excited to take a challenge of a program that was, you know, down a little bit and try to turn that around. And so the program was a bit down. Um, how long were you at, at Eastbrook and how did you see the program change during your time there? Yeah, so I was there for three years, and um, when I when I came in, it was um, told to me that the band had you know been about 140 um, three or four years ago, and I think that first year we had 46 or 48 total in the high school. Um, but the junior high program was just fantastic, and um, and the students were super hard workers. So so um, so we certainly gained a lot of um, in terms of en enrollment and retaining and things over those three years, that was a lot of fun. Um, it was different for me because I came from a larger band of, you know, 200 or whatever when I graduated high school and Ball State, you know, over 200. So I initially thought, 
you know, that's just what you do. So I got charts from uh, Jerry Reese. He sent me some charts and some other people sent me some things. And, and um, I, I got a pretty good um, understanding that uh, band size, instrumentation, all these things are really important and uh, things I maybe didn't learn too well in college. <laughs> <laughs> well, what were you, and what did you end up being most proud of as you were wrapping up three years there? Um, gosh, I think, I think the overall growth, uh, in the program in general, um, you know, we had done things like, you know, get new uniforms and things like that, that were big splashes in the community and brought a lot of pride back to the, to the program in the community. But, um, but those smaller successes of, um, I mean, they're kids that I keep up with even today that, uh, are not kids, but, um, uh, you know, those, those, those relationships are really, really special. And, um, and my relationship with John Brain, I couldn't ask for a better first year teacher mentor. Um, you know, he's a little bit older than me, but, uh, boy, he'd outwork me on almost every single day. He's just, he was just such a great role model in every way. So, um, yeah, that's hard to say. I just think overall, uh, everything, I mean, we, we brought a musical back. They hadn't done a musical and, a decade or so. So we, the, the choir director, Rick Jones and I are great friends and, and uh, work together. And there's, there's just a lot of sense of pride and um, uh, being uh, that smaller community. And um, it was, was really, it was really special. Did you get to team teach with John much or were your schedules pretty separate? Yeah, we, we got to team teach a little bit. Um, he, his schedule was just fantastic. I know people may not believe it, but it, but he um, had it set up in the in the in the tradition that um, the his middle school band kids he had a middle school band period uh, every single day, junior high band period every single day, and then he also had an individual lesson with each kid during the school day that they got pulled out of their. Uh, PE or art class once a week. So he got to see every single kid uh, one day a week during the school day. And the PE teacher just let him out and our teacher just let him out one day a week. Um, so when high school band was going on, he was usually teaching some lessons and things, but, um, but he, he yeah, it, it was just a phenomenal first year teaching experience. Couldn't ask for a better, better position to start out. Sounds like it. What, what prompted you to, to move on from Eastbrook? Yeah, I think um, I was restless maybe for a bigger school, a bigger experience. I think the literature, um, the repertoire, I think um, the things we were building at Eastbrook were, were just going on the right path. But I was young and impatient, I guess, is the best way to say it. And uh, um, I, I knew from my first band at Eastbrook where I programmed um, Elsa's procession to the cathedral and uh, Giannini third symphony that like, that was a huge mistake, but, um, but I, that's the type of repertoire I wanted to, you know, sink into and get into. So, um, so yeah, so it was another one of those things that um, just got a flyer in the mail that uh, Bowling Green was, there was a Bowling Green, Ohio. Um, there was a graduate assistantship available there. Uh, I knew nothing about the university. Uh, I called Bob Shaver and he immediately just said, oh my gosh, Mark Kelly over there is the band director. He said, if you get a chance to go, you've got to go. Um, and Dr. Scagnoli said the same thing and they were very helpful in, in uh, getting me at least to get an interview over there. Was that a one or a two year 
experience for you? That, um, that was a two-year experience. Um, I, I had started, and may, maybe you and I ran into each other maybe a couple times, but uh, maybe your junior, senior year, but I, I was starting to do some night classes at Ball State. I wanted to get my master's degree, and um, it was just, for me personally, it was super difficult, challenging to teach all day and then run down to Muncie and try to, you know, I just didn't think I was getting uh, the, the best experience I could uh, just because of the schedule. And um, so at Bowling Green, they have, uh, they don't, they didn't have doctoral programs, they didn't have doctoral students. So uh, what they did, they had many, many master's uh, students. And so they're all two-year positions, um, two-year graduate assistantship positions. And what kind of things did you get to be involved with, a, with the band program and, and Professor um, Kelly? Yeah, so, um, so they had, there are two band uh, graduate assistants, and they're kind of a rope. Rotating. So my first year was the other person's second year. Uh, and my internship was as uh, part of marching band. I was one of the directors of the marching band. Um, I was Mr. Kelly's uh, assistant for his conducting class, his undergraduate conducting class. Um, I did inventory. Um, and then the third concert band, that was my band that I got to conduct, uh, that I was the full-time director of that band. And did that stay the same for both years? It did. Yes. And what are some of the highlights of the time that you were there? Um, well, those that are listening to this and uh, knew Mark Kelly, um, just a just a larger than life persona, and um, you know, like I think people in that generation sometimes people could could think, wow, they, that, you know, he was hard to deal, hard to get along with, or demanded a lot. Uh, not necessarily maybe um, in the most tactful way, sometimes telling you that, you know, you need to do X, Y, or Z. I, I never found that to be the case. I, I, he was super demanding, but super, um, very, very empathetic and very cared so much. And just just being with him for two years was just incredible. I learned so much uh, being a graduate student there. It was incredible. Um, I think the, the biggest thing, of course, was uh, my wife, who I didn't know at the time. Um, she was coming from uh, New York and originally from New York, then did her gra uh, undergraduate degree um, outside of Cleveland. And then she came to Bowling Green the same year I did as a two-year graduate assistant. And she's a flute player and played in the ensemble. And then um, we really um, hit it off there, I guess, after our first year and then uh, have been inseparable ever since. So I guess the most memorable thing, because I know my wife will listen to this, <laughs> and it's true, <laughs> uh, that the most memorable thing was, was meeting her. But um, I mean, just, and just an example, Mr. Kelly, that he, you know, he and his wife drove you know, 600, 700 miles, whatever it was, to our wedding in New York. Um, you know, we just invited him out of courtesy, but, but he th thinks and thought that so much of his students that he, he would do anything for his students. That certainly sounds very special. Um, were you able to keep in touch with uh, Mr. Kelly after you've finished up there? Yeah, that's uh, the, Bowling Green at that time was is kind of was kind of like the Ball State uh, in Indiana. I think that it was really well known for its music education. If you wanted to be a band director in Ohio, um, you know you really need to consider Bowling Green, and um, because of that because of him, it's just a, it's a huge following um, of students in Ohio um, and all throughout the country. But um, yeah, he, he was great about keeping in touch and um, he, he, he um, did so many great things through the Midwest band 
so, uh, through, uh, through Midwest Clinic, through ABA and some things. I just got to hang on his coattails and just kind of see some things that were just incredible. It was just great. Were you ever able, ever able to coax him all the way over to Castle? I was just curious if you're able to do that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's a great question. I'd forgotten about that. Um, my, I don't know, third or fourth year back at Castle, so I don't know, um, we, we played at IMEA. Our wind ensemble played at IMEA. And um, I had, um, I asked him to come and conduct a march and uh, uh, Dr. Scagnoli conducted a piece. And, um, but at any rate, so yeah, so he came down and it was the most nervous I've ever been in my life um, um, to have him, you know, in front of my high school band. Um, he was just, he was just great, just great. And, you know, I told the kids, you know, just many, many things about, you know, you know, make sure and do this and this and this. And he came in and they just laughed and, and he, they just had such a great time. Um, so he, he was, he was uh, a primary, I think my primary musical influence, um, especially in, in the, in the winds. Um, you know, we played marches all the time in college, but I never really understood a march until I saw him break a march down and um, had a new just a new um, understanding uh, of a lot of things. Sounds like a great time. That's really cool. What, what was your job hunt like coming out of your time in Ohio? Um, it was a little complicated. Um, uh, Jill, uh, my wife was graduating the same time I was. Um, and so we were, and we were actually engaged at that time. So we were both looking for, you know, what are we going to, we're going to try to find jobs close to each other or whatever. Um, she knew that the marching band part of me would not be happy and, uh, well, that I'd be best suited in Indiana. Um, so I, I had stayed in close touch with Jerry Reese at Castle. I'd worked summer camps all through college and, and graduate school. Um, and at that time, Jerry was the only high school band director at Castle. There were, he had over 230 kids every day, but he was the only band director, no team teaching, no nothing. And um, it was just incredible that, that what he was able to do. Um, so it, it just as fate would have it, as I was graduating that summer, um, the school board approved a new position at, at Castle High School as assistant director at Castle. So, um, so it worked out just beautifully that I got the job at Castle as Jerry's assistant uh, that summer. And Jill, uh, once I got that job, she kind of was looking for jobs in the area as well. And she got a job um, at uh, Plaza Park Middle School, which is in Evansville, the day before school started. <laughs> so it all it all worked out. It all worked out great. Wow, that's great. That's great. Well, let's pause here for a minute. We're at halftime, and uh, this has been really fun for me, just as a band director, to hear everybody provide our halftime entertainment. As a band director, of course, you're nothing new to you. So, um, would I ask you to think about a piece? Um, did you, could you come up with just one? What, what did you come up with for us? I came up with two. Um, I, I stopped. I just, yeah, I got it down to two. And I could, um, Lincolnshire, of course, um, just is, is one of my all-time favorites. Um, I was lucky enough to play in the intercollegiate wind band when I was at Ball State. And um, Larry Ratcliffe was a conductor. And that's, that's the first time I performed that piece or really knew much about that piece. And uh, in the two or three days we were there, it was just incredible. And the second one is a march, which I know is near and dear to your heart, um, but it's my mom's favorite march. 
and um, it's not a King or a Sousa or it's uh, Charles Ives country band March. Okay. So those both have different meanings for you. So uh, Lincolnshire, um, what can you tell me about that experience that you had with, with that, uh, said Leah Ratcliffe, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was the first really super artistic, uh, expressionistic conductor I'd ever played for. And some of his gestures were just met by silence from the ensemble because we didn't know what he wanted us to do at first. And after just a you know half an hour or so, there's a comfort level that he really drew so much musical um, uh, phrases out of us that I just didn't. Um, it was just a new level of understanding. And I, I, don't, I don't know if the band was that great or not, but the, the, the artistry and the phrasing and, um, you know, through that piece and through him, I, I just was just mind boggling to me. And what, what band was that again? Uh, it was called the Intercollegiate Wind Band at that time. Uh, we performed at, I, at IMEA. I think every college sent maybe two or three or four players, something like that. Um, it was, a, it was a way to, I think, help all the colleges, but, you know, small private or large public school, whatever, everybody sent, you know, a few players. Yeah, they still do that. I guess that's cool. So, um, so that was what, you remember what year of college that was or? Um, that must have been, I would say maybe 87. So that's cool. Yeah, I, I graduated from Boston in 88. So I'm going to guess it's probably 87. Well, he's certainly a well-known conductor as well. And so your mom's favorite march, country band march, that's an unusual favorite, I think. It is. I, <laughs> Do you know my, why or what the history of that is? Yeah, well, bef- uh, before my mom passed away, she, she would come out to, uh, you know, the concert festivals at ISMA. She, she, she enjoyed the marching band stuff, but she really enjoyed the concert band stuff, I think, even more. And um, so, you know, she was coming out to the concert here in Evansville, the state qualifier. And um, we were talking about what we were going to play and whatever. And I said, and, and we're going to play a march. And she just lit up. She goes, oh, I love marches. I love, you know. I said, well, mom, wait. <laughs> I got to explain. This is not your <laughs> toe-tapping Sousa uh, spectacular that you're, you're thinking of. And so I just kept warning her and warning her and, like, trying to explain some of the, you know, intricacies and how it was crafted and whatever. And so we got done. I don't remember what else we played on that program, but – um, she just came up to me and just said, I cannot believe I love the March. That was the best thing I've ever heard. And, and, uh, she, she always had a great, really good sense of humor. And I think she was tapping into that a little bit, but, um, that was a, a neat thing that my, yeah, my mom and I shared a little bit. Those are two very different memories, but both <laughs> certainly special in their own way. So thank you for sharing that. Yes. So moving on to the castle, um, portion of your career. So you, you came back home and you started out as Jerry Reese's assistant. And, and so what was the, what was it like when you got back and how did you transition, you know, into different positions at the high school there? And what was it like for you? It, it was uh, in, in many ways, it was like I'd never left. I, you know, I, I knew a lot of the people there already. Um, and in a lot of ways it was, you know, completely different. Jerry was, super great about um, my first year letting me do, you know, everything, letting, you know, whether it's the jazz ensembles and um, pep band and, you know, all the stuff he wrote. 
really let me do so much to get um, to really get in front of the students a lot. Um, and, and that, that turned out to be a great thing. Um, in the, in the springtime, he, you know, one of the things he and I talked about a lot was that the marching program at that time was, was getting to be pretty well established, um, as a, as a really good marching program. Um, the concert program, there, there's, there was some growth that was possible there, uh, solo and ensemble participation, all state band and, and in the wind ensemble uh, area. So I was eager to, to jump into that. And he, you know, he let me, uh, we, we, we team taught basically every class. So he let me, um, you know, he let me do the top band my first year. And, um, you know, I was a kid right out of graduate school and didn't know, didn't know what I didn't know still, but thanks uh, to, to jump in. And, and uh, he, I, I don't, I program different music than he does. And, and, but he was just so great about, you know, if you think that's going to work go ahead let's do it and we worked together worked together really well that first year um just had a blast and then um after that first year he um the jack schrenikaw who was at the at the junior high now so what happened was the three directors were still there that i had but they had now kind of flip-flopped that jerry was there at the high school the entire time by himself and then jack schrenikaw and tom liston felt were at the junior high all day by themselves um so um, at any rate, Jack Schrenikaw retired after the first year I was back at Castles, and, and Jerry went down to the, transferred to that job. Um, so then the second year at Castles, then I became the head director. And then who did you bring in to join you? Well, another Indiana legend, um, uh, you know, pretty much, uh, boy, we're both young guys, and uh, but Glenn Northern, who uh, went through University of Evansville and was teaching at Evansville Bossy at that time. Um, and I knew Glenn as a percussionist and the director of Bossy and uh, played with the Evansville Philharmonic. But um, we went out to dinner a couple of times and, and uh, talked and everything. And um, yeah, so I, we were super lucky that, that Glenn was there in 1994. He became the assistant director there. And, and um, yeah, we worked together from 94 till 2001. And what, what are some of the things you're most proud of during your, your first time at Castle before you went to the middle school and back. What well, some of the things that happened during that first time around? Yeah, I think uh, the thing I'm most proud of is, is trying, is getting the program more in sense of a balance um, that it wasn't just one activity, but the, um, you know, I, I talked to people about that era that the marching band was so great and, and everything. And so particular, especially about, you know, six inches off my dot or on, you know, whatever kids were super particular about that. And, uh, but not always as particular about maybe playing in tune or, or some technique um, or taking private lessons or solo and ensemble. So I think the thing I'm most proud of is that Glenn and I, and then later Mark Eifler and I um, really pushed hard that solo and ensemble, private lessons, concert ensembles, jazz ensembles, percussion ensembles, chamber groups that these things are really the most important thing and ultimately you know it helped the marching band be better anyway but but really just the well-roundedness and what led you to look towards the junior high as another teaching option for yourself right so uh in 2006 uh yeah 2006 um and I don't mean to run by this, but in 2001, Glenn uh, Northern left to go to Penn High School, which obviously has just been just awesome there for that program. Um, but in 2001, we hired Mark Eifler 
um, as the assistant. So Mark and I were together for about five years there um, at the high school. And then in 2006, um, uh, Tom Liston felt retired at the junior high. And um, my uh, daughters were getting older and getting close to being that age of junior high students. And uh, so it was just kind of a confluence of events um, that I, I felt pulled and, and I felt um, the desire to go to the, the junior high and try to help that program grow and try to help that program develop. I think like we had tried to help the high school develop. That's really a wonderful reason and help the whole program in general, I'm sure. You had not previously, I think, taught middle school all day. Um, what was that like for you to make that shift? Yeah, so uh, one of the things it, in every, every job I had, I, I always taught beginners. Um, even when I was at the high school, we had a one period of beginners. And so I, was, I always taught beginners, but you're right to have a middle school student um, every day uh, completely different. And I think um, had I been younger, I wouldn't have been able to understand that type age student. But uh, our oldest daughter, Morgan, was uh, getting close. She might have been in fourth grade at that time or fifth grade. I don't remember. But um, so I was, uh, there were more parties over at our house, more <laughs> that age kid parties. Um, and I'm sure you can relate to this a lot. But um, uh, I loved teaching at the middle school. Uh, it, it was uh, at the junior high at that time. Um, you know, everything is fresh to those kids. Everything is, and you can make so much progress so quickly. I know um, it's just, you know, from not being able to play a note to be playing five notes in, you know, two weeks, that's amazing. Um, and and I, I just loved teaching that age kid. It was, it was great. And what are some of your favorite memories? I think I might know already. <laughs> you just mentioned, <laughs> your, mentioned your daughters, but... Um, right. Go, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so our, our oldest daughter, Morgan, she um, uh, was an athlete mostly growing up and had great hand-eye coordination. So it was my, um, you know, I, she's going to be a percussionist, I'm sure, and whatever. And she walked into her try-on period or whatever and came, <laughs> came out. And I was working with, I was auditioning some other kids. She came out, the local music store was doing it. And uh, she came out and said, well, I'm going to do oboe. <laughs> and I was, I was just stunned because that's the instrument I probably do the worst job at. And, um, but teaching her for three years through the middle school was fantastic. Um, and seeing her grow up and seeing her friends in that, in that setting was great. Um, then our youngest daughter, Olivia, she was a saxophone player um, in sixth grade. Um, I went back to the high school after her sixth grade year, but uh, see, definitely seeing both of our daughters uh, grow up through, through there was fantastic. But um, at some point there, we, we moved from a junior high situation to a middle school situation. So basically Castle Junior High split into two groups. Um, so I, I think my, one of my most favorite moments was um, the first year we split up. So Jerry was at Castle South Middle School. I was at Castle North Middle School. Um, in the history of the castle program, the junior high bands had never gone in group one. And I always felt like, you know, we could or whatever. And so that first year we split, um, the eighth grade band had maybe 42 kids in it, 43 kids in it. Um, not great instrumentation, but, um, you know, we started working on some group one stuff and, and those kids were just so determined and just, um, were just so great. And, uh, they, you know, wound up going group one and did fine. And, and um, that was a really 
neat moment for those kids to know that they've done something for the first time in school history. I bet. So what led you to um, heading back up to the high school? Yeah, so um, it sounds like I'm following my daughters, I guess, but uh, (laughs) our oldest daughter was a sophomore at that time. And um, during that time, the junior high, I, I was doing a lot of judging, a lot of writing, a lot of things for other high school bands, but I wasn't doing as much with our band, with the Castle High School bands, what I really wanted to do. And uh, so there's um, there's a position that opened up in there at the high school. The assistant director had, had gone to a different position. And so um, when that position came open and Mark Eifler was still there, um, it was just like getting the band back together. And um, I was so happy to teach with Mark and, and uh, musically and professionally and in other ways too. He's just a great person. And um, again, just was anxious to carry on. I think the things that we we're building at the middle school, but now take it to the high school level. How had the high school program changed um, during the six years you were not there every day? Um, um, I think it had changed in some ways. Um, the, the the jazz program was really taking off. Mark was doing an awesome job with that. Um, there was, um, you know, I think what makes probably you so great and hopefully others too, but, you know, we're just so driven by what, um, looking at the current situation and always thinking, what can we do better and what can we improve and what areas can we focus on and what do we need to do? And, and, um, I, I just felt like some of the students that we were building in the middle school, um, maybe didn't go on to the high school for one reason or another, or, um, it was just, it was just, I just felt again, like the high school could, could really take off here. So I was excited to go back. You've already mentioned this earlier when you were taught teaching with, um, with Glenn and then also with Mark about getting a balanced program. You know, your, your program has done well at literally every area, you know, concert band, marching band, jazz band. Um, have you found since that first time when you guys were trying to get more balance when you were first back at Castle, um, how do you make sure that you keep that balance year in and year out? Yeah, I think it's just a, you know, I think it's a mindset um, from day one with the students that what we are currently doing is super important. And it's, it's um, you know, I, I, I've seen a lot of programs in other areas where, you know, maybe, maybe sewn ensemble just isn't my thing. I didn't really enjoy it as a student, so I'm not going to, so how I roll that out to the students, you know, reflects my philosophy about that enthusiasm. So I think number one, it's just, you know, the director has got to believe it and got to, you know, really sell it to the students and to the community and after you do it for one year, then it's, hey, that's just a tradition. That's what we do every year um, after you do it for one year. So, um, but it, it definitely takes, I think, a, a, a absolute mindset from the director that's articulated to the students. And you've been there 19 years now, I believe, finishing up 19 years, and um, many, many memories, obviously, but are there some favorites that come to mind if someone asks you that question? Um, I think there's many, there's many, most of them, uh, involve, I guess, performances and, um, and most of them all come back to performances, um, where the previous year was maybe not as successful or, or whatever. And, 
um, in the marching area when there was a year where we, we didn't um, advance the state finals. And then the next year, um, it was just so fun. The, the students were so motivated. The staff was so motivated. And uh, to come back and just to see in young people, you know, a year's worth of work or whatever, just, you know, culminate and and them to be recognized was just those, those things that I think are the ones that stick with me, uh, stick with me the most, just, um, and concert state finals, there, there's nothing, I don't know how you feel about that. I'd love to ask you that question, but, um, you know, concert state finals, just being surrounded by other great musicians and other great programs. It's just, it's such an honor to be there, but, um, yeah, I think the, the number one memory for me though is, is, um, Sight reading uh, is always, you know, can be kind of a nerve wracking thing. And back in the day, uh, sight reading was basically one fourth of your score. And um, if you didn't have a good sight reading run, that could, you know, really hurt you or whatever. And um, we were, <laughs> we were sight reading and, you know, we got done and I'm just kind of a nervous wreck about it or whatever. And we're walking, walking down the hallway and um, I see my wife from a distance and she's walking towards me and she's pushing um, in the stroller, our oldest daughter, uh, Morgan, who was, who had just been born two months before that. And um, it was amazing to me, like the stress of sight reading and scores and all that silly stuff, how quickly that just melted away. But I, I, I will remember that one forever. You've been involved with ISMA. I think pretty much your whole career. Um, how do you feel like that's helped you as a band director, as a teacher? I think um, the, the the great thing about ISMA and, and we're, we're kind of geographically isolated down here, in my corner of the state, um, you know, we're closer to Nashville, Tennessee than to Indianapolis, basically, um, that to see and to hear uh, the thoughts and the ideas uh, that other directors have from around the state. Uh, some of them are things I would never have thought of. Some of them were similar to what maybe we were trying to do. And um, to me, that's, that's been, that's the greatest thing, just sharing those ideas and sharing thoughts um, and, and at all times always trying to put the success of the students, you know, to the forefront. Um, so that, that's been really exciting. And, and, you know, we've all been able to work with some great people, whether Pete Strodel or, um, or Rusty or, or Mick or uh, Ron Bell, um, you know, they're all great people. For sure. They definitely are. A couple more just overall career questions. You've mentioned some, some people that I know that I certainly agree are just amazing people. And you've met some people, of course, that I have not and worked with them. Um, but if I were to just ask you if you have any other comments on those mentors or colleagues that have impacted you most um, in your career, do you have any other comments you'd like to share about those folks? Yeah, um, maybe just a quick shout out to those those guys that were Ball State, you know, that were graduate students when we when you were there too, and you probably have about some of these guys. But Wayne Dorothy um, was just incredible and helped helped me when I got my first job. Um, you know, we sat I sat in his, in his uh, living room and he pulled out all these scores, all these marching band charts, all these scores that he thought would you know work for a group that size, and was just just a great mentor and. Um, and then Mark Speed as well, who's of course at Clemson now, and um, just what a great arranger and what a great jazz player he was in the jazz ensemble. But um, definitely learned learned a lot from him. They were both just amazing people. And going in there as a student, you don't really realize it at the time. I think at least I didn't. 
Right. Um, Wayne had this record collection that was like <laughs> unbelievable. And these speakers that were, each speaker had like a car battery on the back of it. Do you remember that? I, I was just going to ask you that. Yep. I certainly yeah. remember that. <laughs> An amazing person. I, I just remember being so in awe of him. And, uh, and then Mark Speed, such a musician. And so, uh, so uh, just kind of inspiring too. He was back to do the junior Allstate a few years ago. And my wife is really involved in that. And getting to spend a little time with him was, was wonderful too. You're right. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned both of those guys. Certainly. Everyone at Ball State during that era, I would think, would have to just, just echo what you said. So, well, that is awesome. Um, so, this is a fun question that I love hearing people's answers to. So, all these experiences that you've had, and your career is certainly not over, and you have many wonderful things ahead of you. But if you could pick right now and go back and relive one of those, just, is there one that comes to mind, or a, a period of time that comes to mind that you'd kind of cheat and go back and do again? Um, yeah, I think, I think actually this may be a little unusual to hear me say, or maybe people may not think, but, um, conducting, uh, ISMA organizational festival with uh, group one middle school band. Um, you know, <laughs> we, we hopefully have our group one high school bands uh, or any group at high school level. By the time you get to contest, you kind of know what's going to happen within a certain range of whatever. Um, but boy, I tell you, <laughs> middle school kids on the stage um, are so fun. And it's just, I just remember just being so connected to them and being so aware and just, um, and, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you, I mean, there's just nothing better than conducting a group and you see your, you know, you cue the oboe solo and there's your kid looking up at you. I mean, that, yeah. That's just awesome. It is. That's for sure. Well, that, those are, that's a great conversation. Thank you. So the fourth quarter has been also fun because we get to kind of put people on the spot a little bit and give you some hopefully fun questions to force you to decide the history of band moving forward. Um, but we're going to break the rules a little bit today um, with, first of all, a little question for you, a little story that I want you to tell us. So I, I reached out to Glenn Northern, who's a great friend of yours, and I'm, I'm certainly lucky to call him a friend as well. And He's a, just a wonderful person. I'm already, nerv I'm already nervous. <laughs> so uh, he said that I should ask you to tell us a story about concert finals timing. He thinks it was 95 or 96 where Joe Hawbush, um, there was something with a timing supervisor and possible, I know mistakes and penalties are a, a fun topic. So do you recall this story and can you share it with us? Oh, I sure do. And it, it, when you interview Glenn, make sure and contact me because I got some stories for him. Too. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, um, he's coming up, so I'll make sure I reach out. It'll yeah, involve Mountain Diet Mountain Dew, I'm sure. So. Right, right, right. Glenn and I are so much alike in so many ways. And uh, one of them is our, um, I don't know how else to say it, fearful of the, the timing element at state finals. We, it used to be different. You just had 30 minutes. There was no exit period. So, um, once your time started and every student had to be off the stage by 30 minutes. And so there are some pretty famous uh, videos I'm sure out there of students jumping off the front uh, edge of the stage and yeah, all sorts sure. of things. <laughs> so, um, so Glenn and I both had stopwatches and we were, you know, we were just really adamant. He'd start his, I'd start mine, you know, whenever the timer said go and it was, it was Joe Hobbush rest his soul. And, um, the group in front of us, I'm not even, I don't remember who it was, but the group in front of us that, that day uh, got a penalty. They went over time 
by three or four or five minutes, something like that. So, um, so we got started late. So instead of starting at, let's say, 10 o'clock, we got started at 10.05. So we got started late. Um, and we knew our program was long, but we, we you know, knew we were going to be in good shape, we thought. So, uh, so we started at 10.05. We got done, and the last person walks off the stage, Glenn and I are sitting there hand in hand. We both click our stopwatches, and we were, I don't know what time we were, 28, 29 minutes, something like that. And uh, so it was great. So we went back to the homeroom, and we were – um, t showing kids where to go and where to put folders and everything. And, uh, and Joe, <laughs> Joe came up to us and he said, Hey, I got to talk to you guys. And I said, okay. he said, well, he said, we got a problem. He said, you guys are going to get a penalty. And, and we just, Glenn, and I just looked at each other and we said, what for? He said, well, he said, I had you guys is like, you know, two and a half minutes over time. And Glenn and I just synchronized. It was just the fastest gun in the West. We both reached into our pockets and pulled out our stopwatch and said, you know, look, we, we had 28 you know, minutes and 50 seconds or whatever. And, um, and Joe, said, Joe said, well, that's what I had too, but uh, on the, you know, past the half hour. So he, he, he forgot that the group in front of us had gone on late, had gone late. So in the old days, it was, you start at 10, you start at 1030, you start at 11, you start at 1130. So because we got off the stage at 10.31 or whatever it was, um, he was going to give us a penalty. And um, if Glenn and I had not, not had our stopwatches, uh, we would have gotten a penalty. <laughs> so you didn't get the penalty. That's We did not. <laughs> so do you still have a stopwatch with you like that to this day? We do. Yes, absolutely. And, and I, I hate having it on my phone. I usually carry a stopwatch myself. So... <laughs> I, I I do the exact same thing because <laughs> your phone goes to sleep and then I have to see it and yeah it's right blood pressure yeah do you mark like on your scores like like the the third piece whatever that piece is like I should be at 17 minutes by this point or whatever uh, I'm not gonna answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I might know how long to wait between songs and yeah so <laughs> hypothetically right. Okay, so on to our other questions here. So just to refresh your memory, so you're deciding for all of band history here, no pressure. And um, so you just have to pick. Some people aren't able to pick, so, you know, it is your interview, so you can do as you wish. But um, so uh, some of these you've heard before, and they've just been fun. And some of them have been tweaked just for you. So first one you've heard before, alto clarinets, got to have them, or let's move on and get rid of them. Well, it'd be easy for me to say, get rid of them. I, I, I've never had a lot of use for them, but I will say, I don't know if Eric Martin uh, retired from Bands of America. I don't know if he will listen to this, but um, if it weren't for the alto clarinet, Eric Martin wouldn't have been in the band. So, um, and we would not have had Eric Martin as a, as a music <laughs> person. So um, yeah, I'm sorry, Eric, we're going to get rid of alto clarinets. Oh, okay. All right. Tubas on the conductor's right or in the center. I, I, oh boy, I struggle with that depending upon the place you're playing. Um, it seems like most places we've played at, it's better to have them on the right um, just because of the hall. So usually on my right. Okay. Tuning your band from the top or the bottom? Uh, from the bottom. From the bottom. Okay. So which of these pieces get to exist after our interview today? Barnum Bailey's favorites or Rolling Thunder? Um, I'm gonna have to go with Rolling Thunder. All right, I thought you picked the I thought you picked Barnum Bailey. It's because of the trouble. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I have night I have nightmares about that still. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, musicals. You're gonna be conducting one for the next season. Do you pick Music Man or West Side Story? 
Oh, wow. Um, well, um, just for the sheer musical challenges in it, West Side Story for sure. All right. Pick a composer who gets to exist, whose music gets to exist after this interview, Persichetti or Hindemith? Um, I have always been a Hindemith fan. Sorry, Persichetti, you're going to lose on that one. All right. I've asked everybody this question, and I actually got my first uh, person to go the other way on this. So um, the other day, plastic instruments, secretly think they're sort of cool or ban them forever. <laughs> I am not secret about this. I do not think they're cool. <laughs> okay. So no P trumpet for Correct. you. <laughs> okay. If you were to pick which one gets to exist after this, Molly on the Shore or Children's March? Hmm. Um, if I don't have to play the clarinet part, then I'll say Molly on the Shore. Okay. <laughs> if a piece calls for trumpets and cornets, should you honor that and, and have those instruments both in your performance? Um, you know, I think the tradition of that has changed so much. I, uh, we, well, we did that at Ball State for a while. Dr. Scagnoli bought a set of cornets and, um, and uh, we did that for a while. Um, personal experience, I didn't enjoy it a lot playing it on cornet, but um, um, I would say no. No, okay. So you're programming, you're deciding programming for the rest of us forever, and we're playing a march. Is it going first or last, no matter what it is? Well, th this is influenced by you. Um, I, I, depending upon the march, I suppose, but um, I love how you've done some years um, a March 3rd, and oh. it's a, just a wonderful uh, encore, really, of virtuosity and, and how your groups have played. So I, I'm, I would say last. All right. Thank you. Um, from your middle school days teaching, if you get to pick what grade they start in and you know they're going to play every day, what grade would you start band in? Um, I, I mean, I've started, when we were at Eastbrook, we started in fifth grade, Newcastle started in seventh grade, um, and at Castle, we started in sixth grade. I, I in our setup, I, I found, I think sixth grade is, is really good okay. if they get every day. Okay. Now you're deciding tuning pitch forever for concert band. Are we tuning to an F or a concert F or a concert B flat? Oh boy. Um, I've got, uh, I'm going to go concert F. Sorry, alto saxophones, but we're going to go F. All right. A silly one for you. Cats or dogs? We are cat people at our house. Yep. Okay. Interview's over. No. All <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> do you breathe with your band on the prep or not? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. You mentioned Lincolnshire earlier. So you sound like you're very familiar with it. So the six movements, you have to get rid of one movement. Which one's going? Oh, oh, wow. Um, hmm. This might sound weird, but I, maybe the first one. I, I think the first movement. Let's okay. just start right with the second movement. Okay. That's a good question. I can't ask it to everybody, but I feel comfortable. So Lisbon's out. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll email all the college professors and let them know. <laughs> And uh, this is a, kind of another fun one. Sleigh Rider Russian Christmas Music, which ones gets to survive? Uh, Russian Christmas Music. 
Okay. And my last, my last question for you here, most bizarre instrument you've used in a concert band performance. Ooh. Um, and I can't say alto clarinet because I already said that we're not using those. <laughs> um, wow. Um, I'm sure there's tons of percussive things that I'm probably were played. I didn't even know about, but uh, <laughs> um Wow, that's a great question. I, I don't, ugh, I don't have a great. I'm sorry, I don't have a great answer for that at all. I, I don't know. That's okay. That's okay. It's it's kind of a, a one you don't think about because when you're doing it, you're doing it, and then kind of move on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, I've really enjoyed talking with you. Um, those are all my questions, and uh, don't know if you have any to wrap things up or if you just want to move on here. And again, I just appreciate you talking with me so much. It's been a lot of fun for me. Hey, and for me as well. And um, I just wanted to, I think you may have mentioned this other podcast, but, you know, as directors and, 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 and having successful uh, spouses that are also music educators, and that's, that's a pretty special thing. But um, do you, where, when did you and Candy meet? We met um, at Ball State on the bus during the Wind Ensemble tour we all did there towards the end of the year every year. We were in band all year together, but she's a bassoonist, so she was up in another part of the room, and I was a trombone player in the back, so we actually never spoke until we were on that bus, and we ended up across the aisle from each other, so that's mm -hmm. how we met. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I You mentioned about mentors earlier, and I did have a one quick thing maybe that um, when I was maybe my first, second year teaching, I went to a, a seminar clinic, uh, I think it was Bands of America Summer Clinic, and it was a round table and I think Gary Green, uh, Anthony Maiello and, and um, John Painter were the panelists. And the question was, um, um, what advice would you give to a young band director? And, you know, we're all in the audience writing, you know, scribbling these things down that these masters are saying and they each said something or whatever. Then it, um, you know, how to fix your clarinets or how to, you know, whatever. And then it came to John Painter and John Painter just said, he just picked up the microphone. He said, uh, for a young band director, I would say this, marry wisely or not at all. And he just put the microphone back. <laughs> and yeah. as a young, young person, I, I felt like really ripped off. I thought, well, no, I wanted some, you know, gem to make my French horns better or something. And, uh, but that's, you know, in your podcast with Dr. Scagnoli and other people that, you know, our, our spouses are, are so important and, and have helped us a lot and understand the things we go through and do. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like we're both in the same boat. We're both, both very lucky. And yeah, you're right. That just makes all the difference in the world as far as this crazy profession and the time commitment and someone that understands that certainly is a, a blessing. That concludes today's episode of The Real Deal. A special thanks to Tom for agreeing to talk with me today. The Real Deal is hosted by me, Rick Granlund. This episode was edited and mixed by Connor Granlund. Our theme song is March of the Steel Men, performed by the 2009 Isma State Concert Band Champions, the North Central Wind Ensemble. Thank you for taking time to listen to The Real Deal Podcast today. Be sure to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at RealDealPodIN. And make sure to subscribe for more interviews coming soon.